that led to the reading of the sutta, but we already have it firmly established that the Buddha is not claiming here any kind of psychic powers at all, but what he does claim actually <coughs> is superhuman because it's beyond what most humans are capable of doing, and that is being happy by this thinking okay. So, um, I'm going to have to dip out at this point. I'll listen to the rest of the talk um, when <laughs> later on, and I'll call you next week, Damarato. Thanks very much for this. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Cheers. Have a good day. Uh, you too. You, all of you, yes. Have a good day. Cheers. <laughs> ah. Okay, so the first. All right, so what 10 actual powers does the Buddha have that gives him a place in assemblies? In other words, what gives him the right to be the boss? Now, here's the first one that I invite each one of you to begin <laughs> to see as a skill. Firstly, the realized one truly understands the possible as possible and the impossible as impossible. That in fact, when we start looking at what magic is, we can begin to understand that there's physical realities here. And those physical realities don't get broken just because somebody made a prayer or said a statement or something. And so whatever happens within that, uh, the realm of possibilities means that it has to stay within the laws of nature. And there are things that are possible, but a whole lot of the stuff that we dream up in our head, we want it to be true, but it's not. It's impossible. And um, an example of that would be what the Republicans have been doing since the uh, election in 2020. They have been claiming the impossible. And they can't see that what they're saying is impossible. And this is something that we need to do in our own lives, is to begin to look at what's possible. Because being happy, being free, being um, uh, lighthearted, being joyful, that's possible. Flying through the air. Huge part of liberation. Mm -hmm, and flying through the air <clears throat> so that you can show off your, your talents is not possible. Okay, so the next one is also quite telling in that. <clears throat> Since he truly understands this, this is a, is a power of the realized one. Relying upon this, he claims the bull's play. Actually, no, this is a, a follow-on for that, that first one. Once he knows what's possible and impossible, because he knows this, he truly claims the power of the realized ones. Relying upon this, he claims the bull's place, roars his lion's roar in the assemblies, and turns the holy wheel. All right. Further, the realized one truly understands the results of deeds undertaken in the past, future, and present in terms of causes and effects, causes and reasons. Okay, so this is what he's saying is, is that he does not discount the law of karma, but it has to have a connection. It just, just doesn't happen out of the blue. 
<laughs> but there's always a cause and effect that's built into it. It's got to have some reality base, not just wishful thinking. I wish you'd go to hell, you know. Does <laughs> that's going to come up in a minute, by the way. Since he truly understands this, this is the power of a realized one. What is that? He understands that actions and the results of actions are cause and effect based. They're reality based. They're not magically based the way that most people think of a comma machine. Furthermore, the realized uh, one truly understand where all paths of practice lead. Now, that's a very interesting one. Can you, in fact, see the way that someone is practicing, which way they're going? Can you do that with the distinction between where the Goenka students are headed and where the Mohasi students are headed? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's the kind of question that we're asking is where do these pathways lead? But then it's very, it's got a very ancient answer, by the way. Um, and, and it's later on in, in the sutta where this one is expounded. Furthermore, the realized one truly understands the world with its many and diverse elements. In other words, the Buddha can truly see the complexity of it all. Which means dukkha dukkha everywhere. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And since he truly understands this, that puts him in the lion's position. Furthermore, the realized one truly understands the diverse convictions of sentient beings. He truly, he, since he truly understands this, this is the power of the realized one. Okay, so further, he real, the realized one truly understands the diverse convictions of sentient beings. Basically, we can say that in the sense that there's no end to the lies that are told. Just no end to things. The things get really, really complicated. Okay, so further, the realized one truly understands the facilities of other sentient beings and other individuals after comprehending them with his own mind. Now, we can mistake that in the sense that we think that he's mind reading again, but carefully we can look at the poly and see that, oh, what they're really talking about is is that by by comprehending his own mind, he truly <laughs> understands the facilities of other human beings and other individuals. Okay. Is facilities it, and faculties the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How do we think? Where does that stuff come from? In fact, what he's really talking about here is Paticca Samapada. We can see how people think stuff up. Yeah. All right. Further, the realized one truly understands corruption, clinging, and emergence regarding the jhana, liberation, and the attainments. Okay, so here's what we're saying is, is that the word that we're practicing here is that we can see the corruptions. We can see the hindrances. We clean that stuff out, and then we emerge out of our dukkha. 
And so this is what uh, is saying here. And every one of you should be budding Buddhas in the sense that you could do this. You guys can see the difference between what's possible and not and what's not possible. When I was reading that, I know every one of you had to thought, well, I can tell that. <laughs> and so, in fact, you could say that this group here then is a, uh, a, a sort of a map or a way that you can actually figure out where you are. <laughs> okay. Can, in fact, you understand these corruptions? Can you do that cleaning? And when you when you get to that point and you have that lion's roar within you, that way you can claim that lion's roar seat in the assemblies. All right. Now, the last three <clears throat> on this list. We've done seven of them and so far so good. We haven't read across anything that <laughs> some Mahayana is going to croak about. So. Um, the next group of three is is often called the three watches of the night, and it also appears almost verbatim the way that it's stated here in other suttas. All right, so let's look at it. This one, he's not actually referring to it as the three watches of the night, but all three of them are, are specifically here in order, uh, etc. And so I'll, I'll read this off to you and then kind of explain this first one. Furthermore, the realized one um, recollects many kinds of past, let's put in the word events here rather than lives, that <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 1,000. I mean, this just goes on and on. How many times have you screwed up? <laughs> many eons of world contractions and many eons of world expansion, many eons of world contracting and expanding, and there's never ending to it. Sam just keeps rolling. Okay. He remembers, there I was, named this way, my clan was this, I looked like this, this was my food, this is how I felt pleasure and pain, and that was how my life ended. When I passed away from that place, I was reborn somewhere else, and there too I was named this, my clan, and this was uh, my name, and this, I looked like this, and this was my food, and this is how I felt pleasure and blame, and that was how my life ended, and when I passed away from that place, I was reborn somewhere else, here. And so he recollects his many kinds of past lives with features and details, so. When we read this like that, the way especially it's translated, we begin to see, well, wait a minute, maybe the Buddha didn't teach just one thing. He's got this side dish here. I mean, he had a hamburger, sure, but now we've got fries. <laughs> what are we going to do with this? And the answer is, is that if we understand that it's in symbolic language, that you too, you don't have to go all the way back three, five hundred years or whatever. But since you are a kid, you can recognize that you got named different names. There were times when you ate a kind of food the way that you ate it. And there's no end to the kinds of memories that you can come up with once you start practicing uh, Anapanasati. 
that in fact that's one of the things that people keep looking for that hey if i keep digging far enough back in the past i'll go past the wound and that's what they're kind of hoping for but meanwhile we have a rich past and the people who practice meditation really do pick that stuff up and can remember and that i was lucky in the sense that i moved around starting when i was seven and so I remember all the stuff that happened before I was seven in, you know, the imagery and whatnot of the location that we lived in, in, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And then after that, every year we moved. And so that gives me a frame of reference of, of all of that stuff that I remember. And the most rich one was the early part. I really remember so much. I could spend a whole hour talking about what happened to me when I was <laughs> Nobody cares about that stuff other than the fact <laughs> that it's there and it's there for you to discover yourself. You can remember what happened. That's the so, then the next thing is, is that he understands this in the sense of a power to be able to remember correctly. All right. Furthermore. Here the word clairvoyance is used. Okay, further, with clairvoyance that is purified and superhuman, the realized one sees sentient beings passing away and being reborn, inferior and superior, beautiful and ugly, in a good place or in a bad place. He understands how sentient beings are reborn according to their deeds. Their dear be these dear beings did bad things by the way of their body, speech, and mind. They spoke ill of noble ones, and they had the wrong view, and they chose to act out in that wrong way view. When their bodies break up after death, they are reborn in a place of loss, a bad place, underworld, hell. These dear beings, however, did good things by way of body, speech, and mind. They never spoke ill of the nobles. They had right view. They uh, they chose to act out, out of right view. When their bodies break up after death, they're reborn in a good place, a heavenly realm. And so with the clairvoyance that is purified and superhuman, he sees sentient beings passing away and being reborn, inferior and superior, beautiful and ugly, in a good place or a bad place, and understands how sentient beings are reborn according to to their deeds. So we can either take this magically, which this whole sutta is not, or we can take it and break it down to understand that in fact this is the second watch of the night. This is mid midnight. And also it follows on from if you can remember and recollect and see what was going on and your causes and effects in your own life, then you recognize that everybody else is doing the same thing. Here we go, coming and going. Imagine that instead of you're some Buddha off in heaven looking at the coming and goings and the beings the way that we can imagine. Imagine instead that you're just in a, uh, a high floor of a building and you're looking down upon uh, a store, let us say a hardware store, and you see people entering the hardware store and coming out. Some of them coming out with a great big package. Others are coming out disappointed and all of that. This is a way of looking at the coming and goings of beings because the guy who went into that store was not the same guy who came out of the store. He changed while he was in the store. He might have met an ugly girl or a beautiful girl or something, and his mind has been changed now. 
that we don't have to wait until the breakup of the body, but we do know that when we do bad deeds, we're going to wind up in in the hell that we make for ourselves. Or if we feel generous and and, uh, grateful, then we wind up in a much better place. And it doesn't have to be done magically. Then, in fact, when we put the magic in it, we almost lose the power of it. And this clairvoyance that is used here, that actually only means clear seeing. And you can begin to see clearly some of the people that you're around, the various moods that they go through. And in fact, if you watch carefully on this screen with those who have the videos turned on, you can see the various moods that people are going through while they're listening to this talk. And so this is the point that we're making on this one is, is that we can see people, we can see their behaviors, we can see the states that they go in and out of, and except for a few professions like some psychologists, most people can't do that. They're more interested in what they think and feel rather than looking at somebody else and seeing what states they're going through. And this is why this is called superhuman. It's not that it's impossible for humans, it's that it's a skill to be learned. And so uh, this is the second watch of the night, and it also has an intention when we look at the third watch of the night, because uh, the third watch of the night, starting in the U.S. Navy at about 4 a.m., goes until sunlight. So think of the third watch of the night is kind of like immersion from the dark night of the soul that is happening in in this one is when we see what crap people make for themselves and we see that we were doing it to ourselves too um so the next one is further the realized one has realized an un an undefiled freedom of heart and freedom by wisdom in this very life so Uh, Freedom by wisdom in this very life actually then cuts through all of the magic stuff that was in the first two anyway, right there, this very life, it's finished. So we find the undefiled freedom of heart and freedom by wisdom in this very life. And so we can uh, live um, having realized it with our own insight due to the ending of defilements, okay? So this is the whole point of what this practice is all about, is when we bring an end to defilements, then we have this undefiled freedom of heart right here in this very life. And we don't have to worry about the past and the future. But here it is. Since he truly understands this, this is the power of the realized one, relying upon this he claims the bull's place, roars the lion's roar in the assemblies, and turns the holy wheel. A realized one possesses these ten powers of the realized one. With these ten, he claims the bull's place, and he roars the lion's roars in the assemblies. When I know and see this way, suppose we saw this now this is kind of a a repetition of what we've been talking about before and giving some examples the aesthetic katana has no supernatural uh distinction in knowledge and worthiness of the noble ones he teaches what he worked out by logic following the line of inquiry expressed by his perspective 
unless they give up his this speech and that thought and let go of those views, they will be cast down into hell. All right. Now, we can see that being cast down to hell is the view of an, uh, a translator uh, that if someone is cast down to hell, then there's got to be a castor, someone to do the throwing. Uh, a better way of, of talking about this would be this way, kind of a slang. Unless this guy gives up that kind of thought and speech, the hell with him. Now, that's the way that the actual Buddha is putting it. It's just the hell with this guy. Just as a mendicant accomplished in ethics, immersion, and wisdom would reach enlightenment in this very life, such is the consequence, I say, unless they give up that speech and thought and give up that view, the hell with them. Sariputta, a realized one, has four kinds of self-assurance. With these claims, the bull, he gets the bull's place. He wars the lion's war in the seminaries and uh, turns the holy wheel of the Dhamma. What for? I see no reason for anyone, whether aesthetic, Brahman, God, Mara, Brahman, or anyone else in the world, to legitimately scold me, saying, you claim to be fully awakened, but you don't understand this or that. Since I see no such person, I live secure, freeless, or fearless and assured. I see no reason for anyone, whether aesthetic a Brahman, a God, a Mara, a Brahma, uh, or anyone else in the world, to legitimately scold me, saying, you claim to have ended all defilements, but these defilements are not ended. In other words, what defilements are you speaking of that the Buddha has and there's since there is no such I live secure fearless and assured I see no reason then for the next group to so to scold me the acts that you say are obstructions are not really obstructions for the one who performs them now here this is an important one it actually uh, is mentioned in other suttas in the sense of obstructions we can think of it in the sense of the hindrances. So these obstructions or hindrances for some are not really obstructions, but the Buddha says, no, these obstructions of the mind are obstructions and you have to remove them. But there are some kinds of practices like Awanka and Mahasi and others like that, that don't really follow that because they say, well, you have to see the obstructions. You have to know what they are. You have to see what's in the mind. But in that regard, by seeing them not yet, they're really not obstructions because if they were, we would throw them out immediately. And so this is a point then that we can say that in correct practice, we can see obstructions as obstructions and then throw them out because they are obstructing what we're doing right now. And so uh, the Buddha says is that these are obstructions and you can't claim that they're not obstructions because they prevent you from getting into the states of, uh, let us say, being free from wanting to be reborn somewhere. And so since I see no reason is this, I live secure, fearless, and assured. The next one. Um, 
there's no reason for any of those guys to legitimately scold me saying the teacher doesn't lead those who practice it to the complete ending of suffering, the goal for which it was taught. Ah, now here's something very interesting. That is that basically what it's saying is, is that we have good solid evidence, in fact, that it does work. That the practice that the Buddha laid out is uh, there for the complete ending of suffering. That's the goal for which this stuff is taught. And so the Buddha says is that since we've got good results, I see no such reason to say that it doesn't work. And so he can live secure, fearless, and assured. So the Buddha has these four kinds of self-assurance. With these, he claims the bull's place. He roars the lion's roar in the assemblies and turns the holy wheel. When I know and see in this way, suppose someone um, were to say this, the ascetic Gautama has no superhuman distinction and knowledge and wisdom worthy of the noble ones. Unless they give up that speech and thought and let it go, the hell with them. Sariputta, there are these eight assemblies, which eight? The assembly of aristocrats, Brahmins, householders, aesthetics, uh, the assembly of gods, the four great kings, the assembly of the uh, uh, gods under the 33, and the assembly of the uh, Maras, the assembly of Brahmins. These are the eight assemblies. Possessing the four kinds of self-assurance, the realized one approaches and enters right into these eight assemblies. In other words, once you get your mind together and you are the lion, then you can go anywhere. You can go into any assembly. It doesn't matter where it is. It can be the Congress of this country or the palace of that king or whatever like that. You're the dude. You walk in there. You own the place. I recall having approached the assembly of the hundred aristocrats. There I used to sit with them, converse, and engage in discussion. But I don't see any reason to feel afraid or insecure. Since I see no such reason, I leave secure, fearless, and assured. I recall having approached an assembly of the hundred Brahmins, the householders, the aesthetics, the God under the four, the great 33, the Maras, the Brahmins. There too, I used to sit with them, converse and engage in discussion, but I don't see any reason to ever feel afraid or insecure. Since I see no such reason, I live secure, fearless and assured. I can hear the lion now. When I know and see in this way, suppose someone were to say, the aesthetic Gautama has no super uh, distinction in knowledge and wisdom worthy of the noble ones, unless they give up that speech and thought the hell with them. (laughs) Sariputta, there are these four kinds of reproduction. Now, why this is there, I'm not really sure. But I'll go quickly through it. It's like the womb, the egg, water, or moisture and spontaneous, um, and those and the Buddha knows this kind of stuff. But this is really, let us say, twenty-five hundred-year-old biology course that doesn't fit modern times. We've got a better understanding than the Buddha did about this stuff. Um, and so, there are these five uh, destinations. What five? The hell, 
animal realm, ghost realm, humanity, and the Asuras, the gods. Um, and so um, you've heard me talk about this stuff before. These are the, uh, um, uh, the woeful states plus the human state. Um, and so what he's saying here is I understand hell and the path and practice that leads to hell. And I understand how someone practicing that way with their body, heads up, after death, is reborn in a place of loss, a bad place, the underlying world. Now, here's something that's kind of interesting. When you go to the poly of this, the word when their body breaks up is only one kind of usage for the word kayasa, that kaya actually does mean body, but the other definitions is the person who's doing the action. In other words, it may be not the body that's breaking up, it's the mental state that I'm in. And so this is a case of the confirmation bias of the translator because he's got better definitions of the words when he chooses the one that fits his belief system. Okay. And the word reborn is not there either. A better way of actually translating this would be that uh, I understand how someone practicing in such a way, when they change their mind, they wind up regretting it. And I understand the animal realm. Then, in fact, we talk about the animal realm quite a lot. What is the animal realm? Is the actual realm of doing what you were told to do without getting the reward, like working at a job, and the bosses get the benefit. Or the next one is the ghost, which is actually the hungry ghost, um, and the human and the gods, etc., like this. And so we'll skip through this. Uh, and I understand how someone practicing in this way realizes the undefiled freedom of heart and freedom by wisdom in this very life, again, in this very life, and lives having realized it with their own insight due to the ending of their defilements. So this is actually um, the important part of it is, is that people can in fact have beliefs, but when they really understand the teachings, it's always to be free right here, right now, not off into the future sometime. When I have comprehended the mind of a certain person, I understand this person is practicing in such a way and has entered such a path that when their body breaks up after death, they will be reborn in a place of loss, a bad state, an underworld. A uh, hell, when sometime later I see that they have indeed been reborn in hell, there are my experiences exclusively pain, uh, excessively painful feelings, sharp and severe. And so uh, the Buddha is saying that when we perform our acts in a certain way, the wisdom of the Buddhas is that we can see which way people are headed. And so the next section is all ab about that about that we can see and he's got a number of analogies here about um uh how people are reborn in these various places because of their behavior 
but we keep doing this over and over again. It's not a matter of uh, waiting until after you're dead to have the bad experiences. We keep having those in this life, and we can be free from them in this life. All right, and so I'm scrolling through here. I found the, the long house, which is uh, 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 understood to be heaven. And uh, uh, suppose there was a lotus pond with clear, sweet, cool water, clean, smooth, with the banks, uh, smooth banks and delightful. And nearby was a dark forest grove. Then along comes a person struggling with oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched, and they have set out on a path that meets with this same lotus pond. If a person with good eyesight saw this, they'd say, this person is proceeding in such a way and is entering such a path that they will arrive at that lotus pond. In other words, you can see how things are headed. This is basically the definition of wisdom, is you can see which way people are going. You can see the way that they're headed. And you can see a lot of like situations. You can see where this uh, situation is going. And so this is one of the, uh, the skills that we develop that we can call wisdom as we can see how things are headed. This is actually quite a long sutta, and it's um, repeated in other places a lot. Uh, Sariputta, I recall having practiced a spiritual path consisting of four factors. I used to be self-mortified, ultimately self-mortified. I used to live rough. Okay, so here is a long, long explanation of what he was doing. This is also in Sutta number 26 and Sutta number 36 about how rough he lived, how little food he ate, uh, juju berries and um, uh, uh, only a little bit of grains of rice and, and um, uh, things like that. And so the next section of the uh, uh, it, like the example, due to eating so little, the skin of my uh, belly stuck to my backbone so that when I tried to rub the skin of my belly, I grabbed my backbone. And when I tried to rub my backbone, I rubbed the skin of my belly. So he's getting pretty desperate there with all of that stuff. There are some aesthetics of Brahmins who have the doctrine in view that purity comes from food. And so he eats only mung beans and then later ordinary rice and all of that kind of stuff. But Sariputta, I did not achieve any superhuman distinctions in knowledge and vision worthy of the nobles by that conduct. And he was doing that for years. He practiced that kind of grueling work for years and years and he got nothing out of it except the knowledge that he Right, and that's not the path. <laughs> and so, going back up to where the Buddha knows what is the path and what is not the path is because he's been down the wrong path pretty far, much further than most people take it. Because that's the I die trying. <laughs> yeah, you think you're tough. Look what the Buddha did. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't achieve any noble wisdom that's noble and emancipated and which leads someone to, who practices it to the complete end of suffering. There are some Brahmins and aesthetics who have this doctrine in view that purity comes from transmigration. Now, I do not know why this guy who translated this used the word transmigration. <laughs> But boy, it sounds rebirthy, doesn't it? <laughs> Actually, in the Pali, it's using the word samsara, which basically just means round and round, um, or or traveling. Okay, the wanderer. Um, but it is, but it is not easy to find a realm that I haven't previously wandered into. The Buddha says to in all this long time except for the gods of the pure abodes because if i hadn't been if i'd gone to there i wouldn't have come back here <laughs> um, and there are some aesthetics and brahmins who have the doctrine in view that purity comes from rebirth actually the Pali has something completely different than than that it has uh just coming into existence, basically. Purity comes from existence. And the translator uses the word rebirth, but there is no rebirth quality there. It's just part of the confirmation bias that is in these suttas. Uh, but it is not easy to find any circumstance that I haven't previously been in. In other words, he's basically saying, been there, done that. And this is the attitude that we want to begin to develop of, oh, I don't have to go explore that. I've been there. I've done that. Yoga, been there, done that. Boxing, been there, done that. You know, <laughs> that's the kind of attitude that we want to develop. That that um, uh, there are some aesthetics and Brahmins who have this doctrine in view that purity comes from uh, abode of rebirth. But there, it's not easy to find an abode or a house where I haven't been abiding. Uh, there are some aesthetics and Brahmins who have the doctrine in view that purity comes from sacrifice. But it is not easy to find a sacrifice that I have not previously offered in all of this time. And when I was anointed uh, aristocratic king or, or well-to-do Brahmin. There are some aesthetics and Brahmins who have the doctrine in view that purity comes from serving the sacred flame. But it is not easy to find a fire that I haven't previously served in all of this long time. And when it was um, uh, uh, when I was an anointed uh, aristocratic king or a well-to-do Brahmin. OK, so he's he's on into having the attitude of. Whatever they say you need to do in order to be purified, the answer is, yeah, I tried that. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, so long as this gentleman is youthful, young, black-haired, blessed with youth in the prime of his life, he will be endowed with perfect, lucid wisdom. But when he is old, elderly, and senior, advanced in he has reached the final stage of his life, 80, 90, he will lose his lucid wisdom. So that's the standard belief is when you get old, you go nuts. And that's very common. It happens. I mean, they call it Alzheimer's or whatnot. That, and a lot of people lose it. But not everybody. And in fact, you can keep it all the time. 
He's the Buddha says, but now I am an old elderly senior. I'm advanced in years and I have reached the final stage of life of about 80. Suppose I had four disciples and with a lifetime of 100 years and they were perfect in, in memory range and retention and perfect lucidity of wisdom. Imagine how easily a well-trained expert archer with a strong bow might shoot an arrow across the shadow of a palm tree. That's how extraordinary these memory range and retention of these guys were. They bring up questions about the four kinds of mindfulness and meditation again and again, and I would answer each question, and they'd remember the answers and not ask the same question twice. And they paused only to eat and drink and do the toilet and sleep and, dis, um, and dispel weariness. But the realized one would not run out of Dhamma teachings. <laughs> Words and phrases of the teachings and spontaneous answers. And at all the end of a hundred years, my four disciples would pass away. Even if you have to carry me around on a stretcher, there will never be any deterioration of the realized one's lucidity of wisdom. Okay. What he's really saying here is, is that you require of yourself to keep yourself sharp. You do things that keep your mind sharp. You don't forget to sharpen your mind. You keep it going. And a lot of people will do a whole lot of stuff and they say, oh, well, I'm retired and I'm sad and lonely and whatnot like that. And so they kind of forget what's going on in life rather than staying up with it. And so this is uh, also a recommendation of the Buddha is to not let your wisdom slide. Stay sharp. Now, this is about the end of it. We come to the end. So now at that time, Venerable Nagasalama was Nagasamala was standing behind the Buddha, fanning him. Then he said to the Buddha, this is incredible, sir. This is amazing. While I was listening to you with this exposition of the teaching, my hair stood on up. And what was the name of this exposition of the teaching? Well, uh, Nagasalama, you may remember this exposition of the teaching as the hair-raising discourse. <laughs> and yet it's, it's still named the other. Uh, with that was said, satisfied, Venerable Nagasalama was happy with what the Buddha had said. And so that's the end of the Maha uh, Singha Dasa Suttam. So, we were able to get it into about an hour or so, and I'm surprised. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions? I mean, this is a long, long thing, and nobody stopped me, and so we just kept plowing through it. Why are you surprised? Uh, because it's kind of confusing, and people have doubts. And they really, really want to grab me by the throat and say, ain't true. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> but all of you guys are, are hanging in there. That's, that's good. That's what makes the Dhamma noble as opposed to ordinary. That ordinary Dhamma is magic-filled. 
is what people want, and they don't get what they want, and they're unhappy. But the noble Dhamma is forget about the stuff you can't have, stay with what's possible and go get that and be happy. I guess the faculties and the conviction mechanisms or the, the mechanisms that lead to certain convictions are can quite differ from from being to being from individual to individual. So there are probably some individuals and some sentient beings who are quite different from others. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Not now. <laughs> okay, because I'm not really following you. Maybe you could just say mm -hmm. it again. Okay. Give the old ears, they don't pick up everything. So, does anybody have any questions? Any, anything to say? Any, anything you found remarkable? Yes, I do. So, Hello. Um, so at the beginning, uh, I'm not sure I really understand properly, but uh, I don't know if it's you who say that mind reading is not possible or if it's the sutta who say that. I know that, uh, like, for example, in uh, Yoga Sutta, Sutra, they, they say that as well. Um, they say the what is time, well. They say which which one is well, can or cannot. No, cannot. Okay, all right. Yes, and um, and also in Yoga Sutra they they, they um, warn about the cities, for example. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, but um, ah, but, but, that's an interesting point. Yes, because the warning about the cities is is that it's fire. If you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. Mm -hmm. Um, but there uh, there's another poly word that actually fits very closely. It's itty or idia, and that is also mm -hmm. a magical. But they're not magical powers in the sense of real magical. They're um, skills. They're real powers. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's what I wanted to because you. So the sutras say that it's not possible, right? That's the sutra that say that. Yeah. Okay. Magical powers are not possible, but real yeah. mental powers are possible. Oh. Okay, yeah, so that's what I wanted to and ask, because after that you talk about uh, Paticca Samupada, and you say that uh, if you understand Paticca Samupada, then you can um, like rewind and understand the state of mind, right? Yes, yes. You, can, you can see that. Also, the important point about reading other people is with their behavior, that you uh -huh. can see what people are feeling quite often because they're not trying to dis disguise it. But it is possible for someone to disguise their true feelings mm -hmm. and we don't know it. Okay? Just like mm -hmm. sometimes we don't know when someone's lying to us. We don't know mm -hmm. it. 
until we go back and put two and two together and do some research and, and uh, do some more investigation. And so this is what, in a way, um, we can say that if we are, think that we can read somebody's mind, then we'll make a very quick choice and we'll often be wrong. We need to keep looking, mm. keep gathering data. <laughs> we need to okay. wait until there's some uh, incongruencies, inconsistencies, or if we can go for a while without any incongruencies and inconsistencies. Uh, an example of that, uh, let me give you two of them. No. Here's another one. Yes. <laughs> Does anybody see those incongruencies? <laughs> okay. Right. Uh -huh. Here's one that's a little more subtle. Uh, my mommy will be right back. <laughs> okay. Did you see this? That nodding of the head means I want you to believe me. Mommy's right uh -huh. in there, and I'm not going to let you know because she wants me to lie to you. So I'm out here as a junior liar saying she's not here. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then I, please believe me. <laughs> All right, so these are many of the inconsistencies that, of course, we can see that. That, in fact, uh, many people in our uh, time are skilled at that, certain FBI agents, certain kind of detective cops, some psychologists, et cetera, like that, become quite skilled at being able to read, but they're not reading minds. What they're reading is behavior. Mm -hmm. And they're always making clear, they're always making clear if they say something about those things, that you need a lot of experience, a lot of protocols, a lot of checklists, a lot of environmental factors and capacity and this and that and this and that. And then in the end, it could be wrong. Exactly so. Here's an example of that. When I cross my arms like this, Many, many of the psychologists will say, well, that's a defensive maneuver. Watch out because he's not buying your crap. <laughs> okay. But it may not. It may be that it just is comfortable. Here's another one. This means he's really not buying your crap. He's showing his armpits. But in fact, no, I've seen people, students who were really into the Dhamma laying on the bed and just pissed out. And I can't make that old saw. Oh, they're not getting it because I can see the rest of the smile on their face, et cetera, like that. So there is actually quite a lot of data. It's complicated. Pay attention. Mm -hmm. Watch mm -hmm. closely now, I think, was what we talked about last week. <laughs> is watch really, really closely within our own minds, and then we begin to look closely at what other people are doing. But mm -hmm. under no circumstances do we want to get to the point of believing our own stuff in the sense of saying, I can read somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. Because you're likely with that attitude to walk into a car dealership and get sold a boat. <laughs> So don't get the attitude that you really know what other people are thinking because some people are really skilled mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At, at getting away with being believable when in fact, no, you got to do more 
uh, investigation. You got to look, mm. you got to check the evidence, etc., like that. An example of that is never take one news source. Don't take just one local newspaper or whatever like that. You got to get a broader range of it. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's also true. Here's an here's another very strange example to follow on with a recent talk. I think that it was on this one when we were talking about. Uh, no, it was just yesterday um, on the other one when we had the topic of Upeka. And one of the qualities of Upeka in the fourth jhana is, is that the mind is so steady that we can actually see clearly right then and there. However, even in the first jhana, if we keep looking and keep looking and keep examining and keep noting, we'll be like getting a collage of photos, like a, 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 a video or whatever like that, of one image after another, after another, after another. And these images then begin to fill things in so that, in fact, by, by consistently working with the first jhana, you can see as clearly as if you were in the fourth jhana, but you can do it in the fourth jhana really quickly. I mean, you can get that camera set and then you take that picture and then you got it. But you can also take pictures like this and still put mm -hmm. the collage together and figure it out that way. So I wanted mm -hmm. to, to, to add that, that to it in the sense of what we're talking about here with looking at other people is to keep examining, keep looking, keep noting, keep watching their smiles, keep looking at their nodding of the head, et cetera, like that. And pretty mm -hmm. soon you'll get a feel of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And when you're good at it, they think you're man reading. When in fact you're not, you're just observing. Mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. And if you're really good at it, you make that they see for themselves that what they're thinking is delusional. Ah, yeah, if you've got a black heart, <laughs> exactly, yeah. That that's one of the dangers of having these skills is, is that you have to be able to use them for the benefit of the other person rather than taking advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be done altruistically, which means without being selfish. That most of the people who want magical powers, they want so selfishly so that I can fly through the air and you can see me from the ground. Or so that I can buzz my finger at you like uh, Harry Potter and you fall over or other things like this. It's a matter of power. And I, you know, want to have that power because without that power, I feel insecure. And so this is part of the greed for all of that power. But when you're already fearless, like the Buddha is talking about in this sutta, go ahead and get your fearlessness going so that you can walk into any assembly and communicate with those folks and you don't have to be afraid of anything because you're afraid of them you'll probably lie to somebody and then you'll get caught doing that but if you can keep your your fearlessness going that you belong here you're the boss you've got the lion's roar you got your mind together you got the samadhi mind and you're the you're the, uh, the the lion in the assembly, and so this is the kind of attitude that we start to develop with the eightfold noble path, 
And so that's why it becomes noble in that regard, is because we actually do start developing these ten skills. And in fact, people in that nowadays, in this generation, in this particular century, we could say, people are, in general, a whole lot more skilled at being able to tell the difference between what's possible as possible and what's impossible as impossible. But think about it 100 years ago, 200, 300, 500, 1,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago. Back then, we didn't have any science. We didn't have any medicine. They didn't even know about biology. They had these spontaneous things that would happen because they couldn't understand it. They didn't. Exp they couldn't have any explanation about it. And so, in the old days of the Buddha, that was a major hurdle for most people that they couldn't figure out what was possible and what was impossible. In fact, look at how hard it is today for some people to figure out what's possible and what's impossible. I mean, for Donald Trump to be the next president of the United States, that's impossible. <laughs> um, forgive me for that one. That's a joke. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But in fact, not knowing the future is possible. Knowing the future is impossible. We don't know the future. That's impossible to know the future. The question is, is whenever it comes, are you going to be happy enough to greet it? Are you going to be unhappy because it didn't match your expectations? Well, practice now to be satisfied, and then when the future comes, you can be satisfied then too. You got you got your act together. You got your mojo. You got your lion's roar. You got your security blanket. And so I offer you the sutta to go back and reread it, perhaps read, hear this lesson, because in a way it's not pointing way up there as to where the Buddha is, but rather he's giving instructions. He's giving instructions about how to take this thing on. To be able to have may you all may you all don't stop till you understand what you need to understand to practice correctly and reap the fruits. <laughs> yes, may you all get there at least within the next breath or two. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> So can, okay. can you write can you write the the reference in the chat please of the sutta? Uh yes I will. Thank you. Uh, in fact I'll also go so far as to uh, send the actual link of the sutta that I'm reading. It's in the Majjhima Nikaya, and it's number 12, the lion's roar. Actually, it's the Maha, so it's the big lion's roar. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's good to, now you can read it because you know where the pitfalls are. So that you recognize that what the Buddha teaches is available to everybody. And it's not magical. So know what's possible. So does anybody have your final remarks? Jamie, do you have anything to say? Um, no, I, I find it interesting that uh, there's this almost like two strands in the sutta where one of them is, you know, saying, hey, you, you don't need this stuff. This stuff doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even connect to what we're talking about when we talk about Buddha Dharma. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, there's these big like... <laughs> It almost seems like the sutra is trying to say that the Buddha does have such powers, even as it's also saying that he doesn't have them or he, it's not important. Exactly so. And much of that can be understood as the bias that the translators who are native English speakers are putting into the sutta. Mm. That yeah, they add that, that in fact the word rebirth and nothing about rebirth is anywhere in any of the Pali of the suttas, and yet it's all over the place. You saw it four or five times listed in the sutta alone. It's because the people who are doing the translating, they're still students. They don't really understand. And here's the bad, here's the worst part of it. Those who really know the sutras have no reason to do their own translation because they already can read. It's only those who don't understand the Dhamma that are doing the translations out of their own need. And you can say, well, that's true for any book. The reason why somebody would re would write a book is to get their thoughts together, organized in a way that they understand it correctly for themselves. Bye bye, Kath. And so we have to be careful about the way that the, the books are saying. And in fact, this is part of the reason why this particular sutta that I sent with this particular uh, website is because the Pali is available for you to write uh, line by line. And then it's got a, 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 a click on dictionary. You can click on the Pali words and actually get a dictionary and recognize that many of these words have more than one definition. Why did the guy choose that one? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like they always translate the word Deva to be a god. To where in fact there's a complete different definition that you know of yourself when I describe it to you. And there is not only the ones who are Devas who are actual gods, there is the Devas of humans who think that there are gods. Mm. Hollywood celebrities, for instance, are called Devas. Mm -hmm. Some kings. Um, that in fact, uh, not only uh, the pharaohs of Egypt, but the emperors of Rome, they wanted to become a god. Right? Pharaoh's big dude, he's important. Let's pray for him enough and get enough gold out of it and he'll become a god. 
All right. So this is the whole idea is, is that it's humans. When we use the word Deva, we may, in fact, not be necessarily talking about things that don't exist. We could, in fact, see the word Deva as something that is actually possible. A deluded human being who thinks he's a god. A celebrity. Well, hello, guest. <laughs> We're just about to finish up. We've been going on for an hour. I, I uh, uh, highly recommend that you uh, watch this video. It will be right there on your screen when we finish. Okay, so. Uh, well, that was Jamie, right? So Jamie, does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 it does. I, I just wonder like if in the Buddhist countries, there's, there seems like there is a big uh, belief in rebirth as well. It's not just the translators. There is absolutely that's true. It's the ordinary, low-class, regular people. And then, in fact, in Thailand, it's the um, <laughs> Bhikkhu Buddhadasa appeals to the aristocrats. He appeals to the university students. That, in fact, um, at one time. He was highly, highly regarded by the judiciary uh, of Thailand, which included all of the judges, all of the courts, all the lawyers, all of the uh, legal students in universities would all get on buses and come down to watch Suan Mo. And, and that kind of group now are the ones who really support Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And I would say that, that he has literally millions of followers here in Thailand with huge amounts of money backing it up and all of that kind of stuff. That Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is really big here in Thailand, but he's almost unknown in the West. Now, he's the one who wants to let it out of the bag. Let's go ahead and let the noble Dhamma out. So that many people can get the noble Dhamma. And, it, and we'll leave it to those, the, the farming community and the uh, ordinary folks to stay in their belief systems. That let rednecks be rednecks. Let's get some high quality people who are capable of really understanding the way things actually are. And we can train them into the noble arts. It's sorry to say, but there, most of the human race is too stupid to understand the Dhamma. So you guys are really, really lucky. Congratulations. <laughs> it is simply not for everybody. It doesn't matter. Well, so long as you can be happy, you can uh, treat those people happily and everything is okay. That they may mistreat each other is not your business. That you treat them well, that's your business. Well, the difference is that people do what what their what their faculties are. And so if you change the structure, if you change the faculties, if you can, you can. If you can't, you can't. Ah, it depends, in fact, on whether they can see Dukkha just a little bit. That there are those who blame all of their problems and woes on other people. There are others who uh, 
blame all of their problems and woes on some savior that's going to save them. It takes a kind of an, uh, a smart person, an intelligent person to recognize that you got yourself into this mess. There's only you who can get yourself back out of it. Well, if that would be true, I wouldn't be here. Oh, oh, you want me to get you out of it or you think you can get yourself out of it on your own practice? Well, if I <laughs> if I could do that in the first place without getting, let's say, some changing code for the fragmentations. See, it's we're we're interdependent. We're not isolated. Exactly. So whatever. Uh, whatever, yeah. whatever we. However, we. Decide to judge someone or not. Well, if we're in the habit of judging, then we'll probably mm. judge folks. Um, the, the point I guess I was making before is, is that each one of us has to do the work ourselves, but it's good to have, it's like this. You're going to have to build your own house, but here are the drawings. You follow these drawings and you get your wood and build your house. Okay, that's the way of looking at it, or it's a map. The teachings of the Buddha is like a map, but you're going to have to, to do it. You're going to have to build the house. Or Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And and some people are able to draw their own map and even get to the get to the end point. And some people Very need rare. someone who gives them a, a blueprint. Exactly. And some and people I, not even some people are not even capable of doing it with the blueprint. They need more. That's exactly right. In fact, they now they want a builder to go build a house for them, which that can't happen. We're going to have to build it for ourselves. But I'm very grateful that I did get that set of plans from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa so I could build my own little palace here. Because without it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Couldn't have figured it out on my own. I know that a few people can, like um, uh, Eckhart Tolle and the Buddha and maybe Jesus and Socrates and a few of them. I mean, we've had a few people in, on the planet Earth who were able to figure out it all on their own, each one having their own language. I wasn't one of them. I'm really glad I got it as a gift. <laughs> so there is basically no difference between all of us. That's right. There's no difference. Good. In fact, if you want to, there's a sutta about it. I think it's sutta number 103 or, or something like that. It's where right after the Buddha's death, that Ananda is out on Pindabad and he's asked that very question about what made the Buddha so special. And the answer to that was, is that the only thing he did was, is he figured out the path to do it. But after we all know the path, there's no distinction. So there really wasn't a distinction before we had the path, except that we didn't have the path. We were all lost. Now that a few of us have the path, now those who have the path, there's no distinction because now we all have the path. And the path 
we get from the Buddha, but he wasn't the only path maker. Yeah. But 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 the building, the actual work, each one of us have to follow the plans. And not only that, but there's a lot of work to do in the sense of right effort. Never mind, start again. <laughs> Never mind, start again. I know you're tired. Pick up that lumber, get that hammer, tote that bale. <laughs> Sleeping house builders. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Anybody got any last one? Do you have any last question or? Yeah, does anybody have any last questions or anything left to say? Yeah, I would just like to ask how does Vipassana relates to practice of Anapanasati? You, they're the same thing. Uh, how do you mean? Um, in a non-sectarian way, Anapanasati means the sati of mindfulness of the breathing, which means kind of watching what's going on, and Vipassana, rather than looking at it as a doctrinal uh, term, but look at what the word actually means, which means close looking, which uh, okay. is part of Anapanasati. Look closely now, watch closely, that's what Vipassana is, and you can't look closely when the mind is scattered and unstable. So we need to get the mind stable. We need both Samatha and Vipassana. Mm, okay. Thank you. That's a short answer. I got a long <laughs> one. <laughs> we'll do some other time when you remind me. Good to see okay. you, Luca. I see you, you on the uh, internet from time to time on Skype, but I'm glad to see you on the call today. Thank you. All right, folks. See you later. See you. Hey everyone. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.